there was no way. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. A fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Happy New Year from the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham here with my usual co hosts, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises, Bobby Rosati. Already gets the game ball today for letting us in the building. I think we're the only ones here today. We, all the entire, all the studios. We in fact are. I got here about an hour ago and was told by somebody who was leaving that the building was empty. Bobby's not here, and I thought, well, wait, wait a minute, maybe <laughs> yeah, we're not having a show. He armed the uh, yeah, he alarm. armed the he armed, yeah. He, I'm in here. It's going off. So I sat out in my car for a few seconds, thought I was going to have the day off, but lo and behold, Bobby was already inside. He was in the bunker getting ready for the show. Got a lot to talk about today. Of course, the Bills at Titans Saturday. Second playoff berth in three years for Sean McDermott's Buffalo Bills. They go into this game with a lot more optimism, and I think the fans uh, higher expectations than what they faced. Although, I mean, looking back on it, maybe Jacksonville two years ago was a more beatable opponent than Houston was. Not to say that Houston is is such a tall task, but I think that Jacksonville was not great shakes. That was a, a and then good they came, Jaguars team. They were good, but they played poorly that day. But it was Doug Marone, and everybody in Buffalo knew about Doug Marone, had an idea of what Doug Marone was, and just thought, man, why can't, why can't any team go down to Jacksonville and beat Doug Marone, which is a pretty good philosophy to have uh, in the NFL because plenty of teams have gone into Doug Marone's buildings and beaten him but I think that Jaguars team was probably a little bit I think that Jaguars team was better than this Houston team a worse quarterback but a better team overall this Bills team is much better than than that Bills team was in 2017 better defense probably getting equal ish quarterback play maybe better quarterback play and Houston's a beatable team. I think there's a lot of lot of expectation about what this game could could mean. Winning a, the first playoff game since 1995, and just uh, you know, a lot of people are excited not just about this this year, but what this team could be going forward. That Jacksonville team, I think a lot of people do forget how close they were to making it to the Super Bowl. They should have. They should have. They, they choked. were a Doug Marone away. Basically, they, he mismanaged. The, the end of that half. game. Oh, gosh. Against the Patriots. That's how good that team was. Jacksonville was awesome. A fantastic defense. You know, the offense was... Pat- they could have run the ball. They could, but they were mo- the quarterback uh, made them a pedestrian offense, I think, in, in overall. And uh, clearly, if they could run the ball, you're right, Matt, but when you have a lead in the second half of the AFC Championship game, a team that could run really well is supposed to put it away. The Jaguars did not. 
because they did some stupid things. Uh, we also have uh, some Sabres talk, and we didn't expect to talk about the Sabres today, but when a low-level player like Evan Rodriguez, of all people, demands a trade, I think on one hand you think, man, how bad is it that Evan Rodriguez wants out? But then three seconds later you think, who the hell's Evan Rodriguez to be demanding a trade? Undrafted guy, signed as a you know free agent. I was just thinking, who is Evan Rodriguez? <laughs> that alone. He was in Menudo. <laughs> I didn't know this. How many people listening uh, know what Menudo is? The phones are lighting up. Um, so, yeah, uh, Frank. Uh, Frank. I was just thinking Frank in Williamsville because he's saying <laughs> he calls it. Frank's going Frank's gonna to call in. Uh, Ralph Kruger had a rather dynamic news conference today, and those who covered it are saying, man, well, now you know why this guy has paid a lot of money to be a motivational speaker for sports teams and corporations because he laid it all out on the line. He was rather transparent today in his news conference talking about what it takes to win, uh, the types of players he needs on his team to make that happen, uh, what they need to do, how they must buy in, uh, laid some blame uh, at his own feet, said that he's made some mistakes. And um, I think uh, it, it was a very interesting news conference and one that uh, we're going to talk about with John Vogel, who covers the Sabres for The Athletic. Uh, he'll be joining the show in a little bit to give us his thoughts on where the Sabres stand after their great start, the turbulence that they've experienced since this Evan Rodriguez thing. Joe Yurden, also of The Athletic, had some nice reporting on that last night. And, uh, and then Ralph Kruger's reaction today, which clearly was he was not impressed, I don't think, with Evan Rodriguez. We'll play the sound from that and get, again, John Vogel's thoughts. Uh, I just see coming across on Twitter, David Stern has died, former NBA commissioner, maybe one of the more influential commissioners in all of sports history, right up there with uh, Pete Rozelle. Uh, I think you could probably put him up there with... Uh, Peter Uberoth, you know, any commissioner really. David Stern took the NBA with the help of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and guys like Michael Jordan and Dr. J before them, but found a way to market a sport around its superstars and get to a point where it is now under Adam Silver's watch as maybe making a run at the NFL for America's pastime. But, Jonah, you follow the NBA so closely and you know about David Stern and his his impact and his legacy. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, obviously it's sad. He had been hospitalized for a bit of a time with a brain hemorrhage, so not to say you saw this coming, but it's not a shocking announcement. And, yeah, he's uh, – you know, they named the championship trophy after Larry O'Brien, who was commissioner prior to David Stern, but – uh, the NBA as we know it now is what David Stern's vision was when he took over the league in the early 80s. And a lot of that credit goes to Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, players like that, as you said. But if you really trace the growth of the league, it starts when David Stern takes over. And a lot of things, you know, he became a more polarizing figure at the end of his time as a commissioner. But a lot of the things, the expansion, the globalization of the game, allowing the NBA players to play in the Olympics, all of these things are developments that David Stern pushed for. Free agency, expanding free agency, and the soft salary cap, which is really 
driven all the player movement that we see now in the NBA. All of this stuff was uh, pioneered under David Smith's, uh, David Stern's leadership. And I think, you know, the NBA as we know it is a tribute to what he, David Stern, did as commissioner. David Stern, very important in Buffalo basketball history. He was the attorney at the time uh, for the NBA at the time that the Buffalo Braves left to become the San Diego Clippers and uh, handled all of the uh, negotiations uh, between John Y. Brown and um, and uh, Snyder. Why am I drawing a blank on Snyder? Paul Snyder. Paul Snyder, I'm sorry. Um and uh, so not that he was the cause of the Buffalo Braves moving, uh, but he played a, a large part in, in relocating the franchise, getting it to a market that the NBA wanted to be in after Paul Snyder decided that he was going to sell the team over an inability to get good dates at the odd, essentially having trouble to, uh, competing with the Sabres who had the right of first refusal on all dates, from what I understand. And also, the little three was a problem at the time because Canisius didn't want to give up key dates for its games, and so the Buffalo Braves had to play on off nights. The NBA didn't like that. Paul Snyder couldn't win the battle, so he sold the team, and it ends up moving to a different market. Um, And that's, uh, lo and behold, uh, what happens uh, to Buffalo as it becomes a hockey market instead of a basketball market. Because I think if things had happened differently – right on the doorstep of those years with Bird and Magic Johnson, I think that uh, it's probably a different story in Western New York as to uh, how it identifies itself. Uh, I'm sure it would. There are a lot of people, based on what have been going on with the Sabres lately, and when I say lately, I guess I should be the past decade, uh, would probably rather have a, have a look at a basketball team these days instead of uh, a National Hockey League team. Uh, so David Stern, dead at the age of 77, uh, and as Jonas said, not a surprise. He suffered a, a brain uh, hemorrhage, um, I think it was two weeks ago. And I do remember reading at the time that um, you rarely come back from that. And so uh, he had been hospitalized and uh, passes away today, the NBA announces. Um, back to Houston and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the We're going to have Joel Staniszewski on, of course, uh, at the uh, towards the end of the show, as he always does. He comes on and talks about this game from a betting standpoint. Uh, the Bills having to go on the road. They've been a fantastic road team all season, uh, going 6-2, and two, winning in Pittsburgh, winning in Dallas on Thanksgiving, coming first in goal from the 8 away from it, tying the game and going into overtime against the Patriots in Foxborough. Uh, they've been a pretty scrappy road team. Uh, what do you think about this I guess I guess the setting for this game, Matt. Saturday, they're going to be the only game on at that time, which is something that they've gotten a, pretty, a little bit used to over the last month and a half because of the games that were flexed. They're on the road. Uh, there are some unknowns. We don't know if Will Fuller is going to play, although there's a report out of Houston today that he should be available. We don't know to what extent he'll be able to go. And, of course, J.J. Watt coming back. Heck, J.J. Watt at 80% is a damn good football player to be adding to your roster heading into the playoffs. I don't know. That's a that's a lot to set the table, Matt. But where are you? What's your mindset from the Bills' standpoint heading into this game? Yeah, the la- you mentioned J.J. Watt, and I think about – I've been to this stadium two times and both times essentially watched a quarterback 
a Bills quarterback's career unravel. Nathan Peterman had the pick six last year after coming in for an injured Josh Allen. I think most people knew Nathan Peterman's career was toast at that point, but that was one of the final nails in the coffin. And before that, in 2014, E.J. Manuel uh, threw a pick six to J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt basically ruined E.J. Manuel's second season. He, he got was benched. done as a starter. Yeah, he got from... benched to the, a couple days later. The next day, actually, uh, Doug Marone came in and announced that they'd be going to Kyle Orton. So not necessarily good vibes from that standpoint, but I think to your point, this is a, a you know Bills team that's the stage has never been the problem. Uh, with them you know they've they had the Thanksgiving win uh, against Dallas which was uh, a pretty um, a pretty emphatic win even though Dallas turned out to be uh, you know sort of frauds uh, in the second half of the season Sunday night football against again maybe not as good a Pittsburgh team as once thought but still uh, a tough place to play they don't mind traveling and, and playing these games. You even look at the Titans game, which was a close game on the road, probably the best team they've beaten all season, the only playoff team they beat all season. So the road has been kind to them. And I think a big storyline going into a lot of playoff games is, all right, quarterback making his first playoff start is always a big bugaboo. You know, it's, it's not something that, uh, you know, Guys don't have a tremendous amount of success doing that. But Josh Allen seems like the type of guy that can probably handle it. And I guess that will be, I think it's always, it's often about Josh Allen, but this week more so than most because he's, you get a chance to ruin a lot of narratives if you want to go down there. And a lot of people talked about Deshaun Watson, the, a guy they passed on here in Buffalo uh, there's a lot of people that argue with numbers whether Josh Allen had even had as good a year as, as people thought. Go win a playoff game and, and come up big on that stage that you're talking about with, with everybody watching one game. And, you know, a lot of people start to change their minds. Where I think the Bills have made the most significant adjustments in terms of their identity is that they figured out a way over the last couple of months to not be do or die with Josh Allen. And what that comes down to mostly is the turnovers. But you're talking, too, about yeah, yeah quarterbacks uh, in their first playoff game generally don't have a good record. But so many times in the NFL, too, the team lives and dies with that quarterback. They found a way for Josh Allen to kind of blend in with the scenery, let the defense win the game, wait for unforced errors, even on special teams, uh, try not to just make a ma- major mistake on special teams. Hope for a missed field goal, uh, a, a turnover, uh, l- three and outs, all this type of thing. And don't turn the ball over as an offense. And what it reminds me of uh, is Rex Ryan's New York Jets with Mark Sanchez. And Mark Sanchez was a r- young quarterback, a rookie, and in his second year, because of the Jets' defense and run game, the Bills don't quite have a run game like the Jets did back then with Thomas Jones and Ladanian Tomlinson and you know different guys. Towards the ends of their careers, they were able to rejuvenate and make them productive. But anyway, um, Mark Sanchez reached the AFC Championship game in each of his first two NFL seasons with every game being on the road. They were wildcard team both seasons, and they had to win two games 
get to the AFC Championship, one game away from the Super Bowl, and then lost um, to Indianapolis one year. I'm trying to think who the first uh, the first year was, but anyway. And the re- the way that they did that was they just made sure that Mark Sanchez wasn't going to cost him the game. And as long as he plays within the parameters of complementary football, doesn't play hero ball, doesn't get reckless, then they had a, a much better chance to win. And I think that's the type of team we've seen from the Bills over the last couple of months. Uh, you you think of Josh Allen still doing some things in the fourth quarter, which he his you, know, you got to open it up at some point, especially if you're trying to come from behind, but. Uh, he's not just doing the stupid stuff that Bills fans feared were going was going to be part of his identity. Um, what we saw in preseason in Detroit, he threw some stupid passes, and you're thinking, man, did this guy not improve over the offseason? Uh, you see it in uh, early in uh, first couple of games uh, against well, against the Jets, against the Jets in the opener, against the Patriots, against Cincinnati. Even though they were comfortably ahead of Cincinnati, Josh Allen throws a stupid interception that gets Cincinnati back in the game with a chance to win late. And they were able to coach that out of him, I think, by convincing him to settle down. And it's one thing that, you know, I tried, I did a very poor job of asking him, asking him this question after the Patriots game. I didn't frame the question properly. And I mentioned what I was trying to get at is that the games seem to be getting smaller for him, which is a good thing. So going into Foxborough, even though the Patriots won by a score, seemed to be a little bit more comfortable than that. The, the Bills did have first and goal on the eight with two minutes left in the game and a chance to tie it. Uh, and I thought that after a shaky start, Josh Allen really started to trade blows, for lack of a better term, with Tom Brady. Now, they're not on the field at the same time, granted, but Tom Brady made a play, Josh Allen came back, and he wasn't, he wasn't afraid he didn't. Uh, he didn't choke. Uh, it's almost like he's. He might be. He might choke before a game a little bit and needs to get out there and play. Um, but these games on Thanksgiving, on Sunday night football, in Foxborough as a flex game on a Saturday, they don't seem to be shaking him like game the opener or last year. Any any game last year as a rookie, like he was all worked up and he just doesn't seem as all worked up, which is a good place to be as you're ramping up your season, heading towards the playoffs. The games seem to be coming to him a little bit more than him forcing himself on it. I think it helps that they've had these games against, you know, they had a Sunday night football game. They played on Thanksgiving. Uh, they played the Ravens and the Patriots on the road. I mean, those are games that kind of condition you to, okay, going down to Houston, all of a sudden this is, by most accounts, a pretty average Houston team. You know, not a great defense. I don't think many people would list Houston as, you know, the most hostile environment in the league. I'm sure it'll be loud. I'm sure it'll be uh, an uncomfortable place to play. But compared to what they've been through, defenses they've faced, quarterbacks he's gone up against, there's a little bit more under his belt to the point where he doesn't need to be, you know, like you said, kind of rattled by oh, geez, Tom Brady's on the other sideline, or oh, geez, it's the playoffs, it's Deshaun Watson. None of that seems to be getting to him, and they've really established a formula of keep keep the game close, and in the fourth quarter, Josh Allen will turn it on. And it's worked enough. It works against teams that 
maybe don't have the answer on the other side of the ball, don't have a, a quarterback or an offense that can punch back, um, or teams that don't have the defense schemed up to to handle him when he when he flips that switch. But it gives them a chance to do pretty much anything. I mean, you talk about we talk about rookie or young quarterbacks making their first you know playoff starts. Some numbers compiled by uh, WalterFootball.com. Road underdogs making their first start quarterback with the quarterback making first playoff start three and twelve in the last fifteen. So that's straight up or against the straight spread? up, straight up against the spread. They're six and nine. So and if you just but that doesn't play, do the Bills any good. We should just stick just with say, the straight up. Playing guess, right? guys against, or or just say, guys on the road making their first start three and fourteen or five and fourteen. So, but when you dig into that a little bit closer, this is where it's kind of funny. Is these numbers aren't necessarily going to tell you the whole story because the last, let's go half dozen quarterbacks that fall under those parameters are Tyrod Taylor lost um, in Jacksonville, Marcus Mariota won. Uh, in 2017, and then it's Connor Cook, Matt Moore, Ryan Lindley. So no wonder they lost. All those guys suck. (laughs) So, you know, you have Andrew Luck, he lost, but Joe Webb, Matt Stafford, Mark Sanchez, Vince Young, Todd Collins, like, these guys all stink. Right. Well, you know who doesn't stink? John Vogel. We're going to always love having him on. We're going to let him talk a little bit while we all get hoarse and cough into our microphones. I'm going to get Sully nice and sick tomorrow. Unless you got some something you can spray all over this microphone for yeah, him. If I remember. Yeah, you might not remember. So when we come back, we're going to hear from John Vogel of The Athletic. He's going to talk to us about uh, the Sabres and the turmoil going on at the arena and uh, what Ralph Kruger had to say about it today when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bison, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Right here on Sports Radio 1270, the fan. The Tim Graham Show. I might be having. I, I might be having. <laughs> I might be having some stuff up my sleeve. What did you say, young man? By the way, you can watch me be having stuff up my sleeve on Periscope. We'll get to Evan Rodriguez in a second, but and maybe with him in mind, uh, he had some of these comments to go today. But it's like uh, we're going to find guys who figure this out, not not necessarily of hey, I'm going fi- to I'm going to solve all these ills. It's like these guys have to do it, uh, and. Or else. Yeah, that was uh, that was. <laughs> you did mention Rodriguez, and he was asked that this is a, Evan Rodriguez requested a trade. Uh, pretty much about a month or so after Zach Bogosian did, and Ralph Kruger's straightforward quote was, "We will end up with a group of players that really want to be here, and we will work with the players that really want to be here, and quite clearly play the players who want to be here." Um, so yeah, he's letting them know that. Uh, um, while he is lifting him up, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, and he's said it multiple times. He's not here to be popular. Um, he's just uh, a straight shooter, and it does. But the way he turns phrases is uh, brings out that silver lining a little bit. But uh, there was no doubt he was uh, he was in charge, and he had him looking 
at the big picture is what he said that um, uh, today was all about. He said, if we look at last night's game, it'll drive us crazy because it was nothing, not a lot of good things. So, um, but yeah, he knows that they got a lot of work to do, and that's uh, the one thing that he's uh, trying to do most here. We're in conversation with John Vogel. He covers the Sabres for The Athletic. And, uh, John, I don't know if you've been around Ralph Kruger long enough to know. Uh, you get this feeling when, you know, covering Lindy Ruff for as long as you and I both did uh, or any coach uh, that you've covered subsequently, once you're around them, you learn their tells. You can tell what uh, what mood they're really in despite what they're saying. Is there something bubbling beneath the surface uh, with Ralph Kruger that you sense? I mean, where is his frustration? He he speaks in very, it sounded really transparent. And again, uh, the word dynamic I'll use in terms of the way uh, eloquence uh, in, in the way that he's able to get his message across through you to the fans. Um, but where's his frustration level, do you think, after such a good start and then the the erratic play ever since? Uh, the one thing that he brought up that he doesn't like is just the mental state of uh, of the team and the guys, both uh, how they respond to adversity in the big picture and the small picture in during games. Um, he, he, tribu- he attributed some of it to the busy schedule they've had. He mentioned a couple times that they've had 21 games in 39 days, um, so there's a lot of that. Uh, but he, when asked about what's going wrong um he had well he had said at the beginning of the year and multiple times since it would take about half the season uh for the guys to really get into habits that he wanted them to get into he was teaching a lot of things and so now that we're at the midpoint uh, i asked him like well how is that going in this habit forming and he's like uh pretty much what's happening is the mental fatigue is uh is not uh, helping those habits gain traction uh it's still not there uh, we still don't have the mental wherewithal to stick with those habits, is what he said. Um, so while he likes a lot of signs, he just doesn't like that they can't uh, keep it up for an entire 60 minutes and then that they have, uh, and when something goes wrong during the game, it kind of goes into the next game. Because obviously they've lost four straight now. They're 1-6-1 one, and one in the last eight games. Uh, and their problem has been for years, they just let things snowball. And he's trying to get that mental uh, buildup, get these guys a little stronger mentally. So that's the main thing he's working on, and that's the thing that's uh, he's working on most. And kind of, I won't say bugging him that it's not there yet, but he knows that it's not there yet. John, you know we hear Ralph Kruger talk, and and you you mentioned it. He's he's pretty good at at getting you to see the bright side, and I do think he's he seems pretty genuine, pretty earnest, but. I mean, is there a bright side? Because you wrote about the the salary cap issues they're having. It seems like there's one bright spot, Jack Eichel, and there hasn't been a whole lot of other bright spots. So, I mean, what what is the future for the rest of this season and beyond with this general manager and head coach and and how they're they're building thing? You know, how they're building this thing. What is what is the bright side? I guess. I guess his bright side is he's doing the best he can with the people he's got. And as we make it a little broader, he just doesn't have enough people around him. Uh, I mean, it's clear you mentioned Jack's the, the uh, only one doing a lot and that he's, he's the only center who's done anything. Marcus Johansson, who uh, is a winger, let's be honest, uh, is their number two center. So they have a winger playing number two center. He's not doing it well. The third line is a disaster. The fourth line, um, the Kyle Opozo and Zemgus Gergensen and Johan Larson, they do their, they do their job. They had some 
offense and now and then, but the, the team without a second and third line just isn't going to go anywhere, especially when you're in the same division as Tampa Bay and Toronto and Boston, uh, which we kind of knew coming into the season. But I don't think we knew it would be this bad. I mean, Jimmy VC and Connor Sherry just disappearing for long stretches. Um, just And like we said, well, Casey Middlestat literally disappearing down to Rochester because he, for the second straight year, showed he wasn't ready for this level. So while what Ralph's trying to do this season is get the guys who are on the roster to believe more and to stay in the games, and the grand scheme, Botterill's going to have to do more to give them guys who will keep them in the playoff race next season. John, we see it with the Buffalo Bills this year. I had actually had a conversation with Tom Reed, uh, who works for the Athletic in Ohio, does a lot of hockey coverage. I'm sure you've crossed paths with Tom Reed over the years, and oh yeah, he's writing a story uh, comparing the Browns to the Bills, and the Browns being the quintessential talent acquisition team versus the Bills being the quintessential culture first. We'll find the players who fit our culture second. Uh, type team and that the culture aspect may be winning out at least if you compare these two specific teams Um, what about the culture with the Sabres in that uh, you talk about things like snowballing um, getting down uh, trying not to become losers Um, there's a leadership slash character aspect involved and I'm not saying you talk about hockey leadership you talk about the captain a lot of times which I think is uh, a little hyperbolic. I think you need uh, several captain-type players on every NHL roster, on any sports roster. Let's face it. That's not just a hockey thing. But uh, I'm not putting too much on the feet of Jack Eichel. He's carrying the team on the ice. Uh, but what about just more character guys? That Are they where are they lacking in that regard to to maybe needing those guys that do pull them through these these dark periods? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that is one thing they could use. But it's also... Uh comes back to performance it's hard for i mean they, they might have some guys who can talk in there like jake mccabe is a good uh, a good guy to talk to but he's not having the best season and the, there's been a hesitance i've noticed uh i don't know if it's sabers exclusive or around every sport but if a guy's struggling he just doesn't feel it's his duty to step up and tell other people to get better if he can't do it himself and i think some of that is happening because there's not a lot of guys who are doing much that can say hey follow my lead so yeah they do need uh they do need a little bit more leadership and i think a lot of that comes from the performance that uh, that they're not getting from most of these guys um and the one th- the one problem that's no one really expected uh to come up is just guys wanting out um zach bogosian asking for a trade evan rodriguez asking for a trade uh colin miller has not asked for one to my knowledge but the guy comes in from a playoff team in vegas a defenseman and now he's a regular scratch and obviously he can't be happy about that um and there's guys so yeah I'm, that's the thing that uh, i think ralph's a little uh ralph and probably jason batter a little worried about is that guys aren't all buying in um so that's one thing they got to do is find the ones who do want to and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a struggle this year because they have nine ufas um, so not only are those nine guys trying to help a team win, they're also looking out for themselves at times because they know that, Hey, I got to get a job this summer. So I need to do something that's best for me. Um, so that takes a little bit away from the team buy-in when you got so many guys looking, uh, looking out for themselves as well. Who does Evan Rodriguez think he is? <laughs> um, what he said today is I'm a hockey player who wants to play hockey. Um, so I think that's who he thinks he is, but uh, I un- definitely understand your point. A guy who hasn't scored in 32 games going back to last season, 
Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's an intriguing situation. I know um, Rochester's got some ice. Yes, they do. Um, yes, yes, they do. And the, the way he's played, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, he probably fit in there pretty well. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure where that came from. Obviously, uh, he doesn't have the best track record. He had a good season a few years ago, but uh, yeah, I don't know uh, how much leverage he has. He just wanted to make it clear that he wants to play, but he also had to earn his way onto the ice. Yeah, that's fascinating. I can't yeah. recall a, a more uh, absurd trade request or probably since Zach Bogosian trade demand. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's, it, it is. I mean, both ago. those guys, <laughs> both those guys are are among my favorites to talk to. They're great guys off the ice. But yeah, you look at the track record for both of them. Zach Bogosian's played in about fifty percent of the games in the last. Uh, seven, eight years, usually injured, hasn't performed well when he's on the ice. Then you got it. Evan, who hasn't scored, and they both want out um, and think that there's going to be a big market for him. And uh, the Zach's been scratched, I think, at six of the last eight games since he made his request. I would assume Evan's not going to be in the lineup anytime soon based on what Ralph said today. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they help their cause in this manner by either publicly requesting it or with their play. I have to I have to look this up real quick because uh, I was playing the NHL 20 game with my son, and uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't making this up. I've also been on Theraflu and NyQuil lately, so maybe I was hallucinating. <laughs> so uh, I'm always big on the legend teams or the all-time teams, and so the Sabres alumni team, because they don't have, uh, like the baseball game has, uh, has a deal with the Hall of Fame, so you can get all the Hall of Famers and legends. So... But in the Madden game, they have to go out and get deals with each person individually, um, like with Bo Jackson or with Steve Young or Jim Kelly or Thurman Thomas, whomever. So I went on the alumni roster, and uh, Don Edwards is my goalie. And I said, okay, that's legit. And um, Martin Biron is the backup. You know, of all the goalies in Sabres history, that's my duo. <laughs> but I get to the fourth line, and it's uh, – it's, uh, Mike Pekka skating between Matt Barnaby and Daniel Paye. And I'm thinking that maybe Daniel Paye requesting a trade off that team might be the equivalent of Evan Rodriguez. <laughs> Taylor Pyatt's on, on, the, on, the, on the team, too. I can put yeah. him in. He was scratched. Uh, the, uh, my auto lineup uh, scratched him, but I could add Taylor Pyatt out there, too. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, it is one of the more bizarre ones. Um for sure. I mean, yeah, as we said, he just doesn't have a lot of leverage and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this, but, uh, I don't think, uh, as soon as the news got out yesterday that Jason Botterill's phone was ringing off the hook that, Hey, we got to get this guy. <laughs> John, thanks for breaking it down for us. And thanks hey, for being our Johnny on the spot. Yes. Happy new year to you and your family. And thanks to, uh, yes. Thanks. And happy new year to all you guys too. Hope to see you soon. I'm sure you will. That's have John Vogel. Weekend joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. The Buffalo Sabres, not so much. Niagara County Community College, winning teams. Thanks to John Vogel. All right, when we come back, we got some college basketball talk. We're going to have Steph Stradley from Houston to talk about the Texans. We're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. And more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants 
on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Your cruel device, your blood like ice. Seventy the fan. Take your calls at two seventy twelve seventy on Twitter at twelve seventy the fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. We're right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan on this first day of 2020. Some interesting college sports stuff going on. Joan, I wanted to, in fact, you know more about it than I do, but UCLA men's volleyball is coming to town to play Damon. Tomorrow, yep. Which is incredible. It is. Although in men's volleyball, I guess this isn't quite as uncommon as you or I or people that follow other sports might think, but it is notable that UCLA ranked number two in the country, 19-time national champion. Their coach, John Spira, USA volleyball coach, and they're opening their season at Damon College, not playing Damon in a tournament elsewhere or you know, buying a game with Damon would go out to UCLA, but they're coming to play in Lumsden, Lim Lumsden Gymnasium at Damon tomorrow night, and it's a way to grow the sport. It's kind, of, it's one of these things that, uh, like you say, it's it's something that they do in men's volleyball as they try to, you know, get more attention and what have you. But the thing is, is UCLA's coming to town. I really haven't seen it reported anywhere. I mean, it'll be in the Niagara Gazette tomorrow. I'm <laughs> finishing that story up right about now, but. Yeah, and if you're a volleyball fan, it's pretty wild that you get to see a team like that up close. And not only UCLA, but Pepperdine, who was in the national semifinals last year, and Harvard will both be playing matches at Damon later this month against Damon and also will play each other as part of a tri-match setup uh, at Damon in a couple weeks. Is this like college football or these two? Well, generally, no. I mean... I was going to say, is this one of those games where you pay Damon a lot of money to come in and get a win? But if they're going to do that, they're going to bring Damon out to their home court, right? They're not going to come to Damon. Right. So that even adds another uh, sense of uh, goodwill of, the, of, the, of building the sport, of trying to create something rather than, hey, we're just going to fly out to Los Angeles, pick up a free win. You can go ahead and take some money back to your campus. They're coming here. Yeah, well, here's the thing. There's only – about two dozen Division One men's volleyball programs. Men's volleyball is not as big as women's volleyball and many other NCAA sports. So Division One and Division Two are essentially combined for the NCAA championships, and, and certain conferences have schools from both Division One and Division Two in them. So for all intents and purposes, uh, there isn't really a distinction between D1 and D2 when it comes to men's volleyball. So these Division One teams need to play matches against Division Two teams in order to fill out their schedule, and that's not quite that unusual that they would play against each other. 
But for a blue blood program like UCLA to come and play at Lumsden Gymnasium where they only seat about 600 people, that's kind of you know noteworthy, I would say. And that has to do with the fact that you know now it's called First Point Volleyball Foundation. It was called Motor MVB a couple of years ago when this happened. But Damon Volleyball exists. Damon Men's Volleyball exists because of a grant from that foundation. And John Spira, the UCLA coach, is the founder of that foundation. So I think this was – it might have been unwritten, but it was, was kind of connected to that grant that a team like UCLA would come and help you grow your upstart program by playing a match on your home floor. And Damon coach Don Gleason, who's a Hamburg native, uh, has a connection, I think, working through USA Volleyball or certain club programs with John Spira. So that, that doing Damon a little bit of a favor by coming here to play while they're on an East Coast swing – the other schools, Pepperdine and Harvard, have Western New York players. That's kind of why they're coming here. But it's it's a numbers game, really. If there were 350 Division One men's volleyball programs like there are in basketball, then you really wouldn't see as many games between D1 and D2. So, you know, they basketball teams play about one of those a year, and their fans always whine and complain about why they're doing it. UCLA does have a couple of Toronto-area kids, uh, one from Scarborough, one from Toronto. So maybe this is the closest they can come to get them, you know, Big schools have a tendency to do that as a recruiting thing if they're really after a guy to say, hey, well, come and play a game in your hometown. Like, like Christian Leitner or Duke. Right. Duke came. What was the local game they played? Canisius in, I think, 1991, right. something like that. They come 92. back to your hometown, and Bob right. Knight used to do that with his recruits at Indiana. Yeah. And John Spira, he's not from West New York, but he has family connections to Lackawanna, I believe it is. I don't I think on his mother's side. So I guess he's here for the chicken wings. Sure, it's got to got to be something. But for volleyball fans, this is a huge deal. And if you're not, you don't really identify as a volleyball fan, but you're a sports fan. Men's volleyball is quite a spectacle. The athleticism, and how hard they hit the ball, and I'm looking forward to going to this tomorrow because I've seen it on TV. I've covered boys volleyball in high school, but I've never up close seen these type of athletes who are all. You know, six five, six six, six eight, and they can jump and they hit the ball extremely hard. It's it's a lot different than what you're used to seeing at the high school level or with uh, Division One women's volleyball or you know beach volleyball. It's not like that. This is aggressive. The physicality, the athleticism that they display, I believe. You know, I've never seen it live, but from seeing some of it on TV, I'm expecting it to be uh, pretty. Uh, Especially in a gym like that, it would be pretty jarring to see it up close like that uh i played volleyball did you know that about me i didn't in high school and i can attest to what jonah says about how hard these division one volleyballers smash the ball because a guy who was on his did you way get to paneled ohio, once or once or twice <laughs> a guy oh. who was on his way to ohio state um uh-huh. was a middle hitter for uh st john's uh, high school back in Massachusetts and they stuck me late in the game we were getting plastered and they <laughs> stuck me in the game at uh, the back middle spot that kind of rotates and I just remember it's an image that I don't think I'll ever forget oh. of the setter setting this big six foot seven gangly dude and the guys in the front are supposed to jump up and block and our guys were just Nowhere to be found. Out. And I can still see the guy's face as he just jumped up and smashed the ball. It, I got a piece of it, but I think it got more of me. Jonah I might go check this out. 
I'll be out of town, but I, yeah, I'd go. This be something I'd do. Sold out. No, they don't you, have room for you, Tim. All right, or Matt, for that matter. No standing room. But I do think there's tickets left when Pepperdine and Harvard. Pepperdine is probably as good as UCLA, more or less, and Harvard another Division One program. So those matches are coming up on the 14th and the 16th. If people want to check that out, can't get a ticket tomorrow for UCLA. Could you imagine getting a full ride to play at Pepperdine? People, Pepperdine's one of those schools where people are like I'm not. I think I know where that is. It's on. It's in Malibu. It's right it's, on the beach. It's on the beach, right? <laughs> Volleyball events, it's also acceptable to shout free ball. Yeah. Which is an, an, an added perk if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> volleyball, they, all they ever chant, though, is side out. That's all you ever hear in a volleyball match, side out, side out. It's when the ball, if you're wondering when the appropriate time to scream free ball is, it's when, you know, they're usually playing clean. You know, a guy hits it, and, you know, you'll dig it up, set it, and the other team will hit it. But if there's... One that kind of gets popped up in the air, and it's like, oh, this is going to be, you know, you're not just playing survival mode at that point. You have a chance to really attack it. I don't know. Maybe maybe people don't scream that. Maybe that was just us in high school. <laughs> we would scream free ball it's on the court. It's called free balling, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when we come back, we're going to do more Bills at Titans talk. Still like to get into some college hoops. Saw it. Really competitive game between Bonaventure and UB over the weekend. That was a lot of fun. Wait, was it over the weekend or was that Monday? It was Monday. Monday. These holidays it feels uh, like the weekend. Mixed up. Another manic Monday. It was not another manic Monday. It was a totally different type of day. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, right here, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. for my team. This is historic, Tim. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim's Kitchen Tips. This is my new show. Yes! This show delivers. Delivery's late at your ass, not mine. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the whole. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. First show of the new year, 2020. And, uh... We haven't heard from one of our regulars. We have all the regulars in here. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated. Bobby Rosati, Diddle and the Knobs. 
but it's not an official show until we hear from Frank in Williamsville. Frank, what do you got for us? Tim, how, how are you? How was Christmas? Christmas was good. I don't like, I think Wednesday is the worst day for Christmas, with it being smack in the middle of the week. It You don't get the maximum combined days off or all the days off in a row, right? Because right. you have to work either Monday and or Friday. You don't hit the weekend. If it's on Thursday, you get the Friday That's off. Thursdays, yeah. Yeah, and then the Bills had a meaningful game. And so, or no, they didn't. That was the Jets. Yeah, I guess I could have. I guess I didn't have to cover that game on Sunday, but anyways, drove to Ohio, had to drive right back for work, and it was good. Thanks for asking. Well, how about let's talk about college football for the OSU. No, let's not. Christmas. You tell me how your Christmas was. Oh, all right. This is a two-way street, Frank. Um, it was uh, quiet. Let's put it that way. Good. A lot of good family stuff. Too much eating. I ate too much as usual. Good. But uh, which is a good thing. And, and the, the top of the question was, what day is today? Wednesday, yes. Yeah, Wednesday again. It's like time out of mind. You can't. You know, it just feels so weird. Yeah, it's it. We uh, well, I don't know if you heard the top of the show. We uh, had trouble getting in the building today because everybody was off. But oh, no, so I didn't. It, it did feel like a Saturday. But uh, yeah. you say you want to talk college foosball? Yeah, it was an OSU Clemson game. I mean. The OSU fans were up in arms about that, the hit on Lawrence. But, I mean, I thought that was a flagrant, no doubt, targeting, head-to-head hit, man. And, and then the other guy jumps on him and tries to rip his shoulder off. But I don't agree with the penalty. I don't think the kid should be ejected. I think it gives the kid, like, it's a warning or whatever, you know? Um, just, I think, did Ohio State had two players thrown out of the game for for, for targeting, right? At least the one, and and the one that you're referring to, the the Trevor Lawrence one. I mean, you can disagree with the rule, but by the letter of the law, that was targeting, and and like you said, maybe it's better to give him a warning, but that's not really how it works, and it's tough because that guy's a good player that got thrown out of the game, and you know, obviously a huge game, but I'm with yep. you. I think it was, yeah. you know, I you can complain about the rule, but you can't really complain about the enforcement of it in that instance. The other play was that the interception, well, the reception fumble run back to the end zone that was nullified. Right. And I, I, I thought the guy had two hands on that ball and took three steps with it. I don't understand these football moves. I don't understand how they have to have a referee in the booth with the announcers to explain these plays. I mean, how many games has Kirk Hurtsfeet seen? Thousands? Like, he can't tell what a, a catch is? You know a- what, Frank? That is a great point that I haven't thought of because – I've appreciated the referees as analysts, but you're absolutely right. We shouldn't have to have people explaining the rules to us. Uh, the, the average human being should be able to understand why the rule and why it's a rule. The fact that we need in almost every case to ha- every network now has a a guy who's gonna has to explain it to us. Yeah, uh, I'll interpret. Now I'm upset. And they're not that good at it either. Oh, geez. Who was the guy that got fired? He lasted a season. He was terrible. Um, shoot. He always got him wrong. Yeah. It's like, let's go to this guy to explain it. Is, are they going to overturn this one? No way. Overturn. Colin Fields overturned. <laughs> right. Tim, did you watch it? Uh, the uh, basketball Christmas night with L.A. and the, the Clippers and the Lakers? I didn't see it. There's a play at the end of the game where, where Magic Johnson uh, – sorry, where uh, – um, that would have been something. I'm having a, 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 a LeBron. 
LeBron. LeBron's got the ball, and, he's, and the, the defender pokes it out of his hands, and it goes back over his head in the, in the crowd, right? Obviously, the, the guy poked it, and it should be Lakers' ball, but then they, they did a replay on it, and the ball actually barely touched the fingernails of LeBron as it went back over his head, so it was um, Clippers' ball. Like, when you watch these plays live, that one there, like the Bills play against uh, New England, the, the no catch, the no touchdown, I should say, the tight end catch down there at the goal line. If you remember that one, he he, he landed on like the half yard line, which if you look at with a naked eye, that's a touchdown when you, when you watch it. But then they they might be break these things down frame by frame, and next thing you know, it's not. And it just seems like the, the fans watching the game, then they got to call a timeout, and it takes three minutes to figure out what they're going to do. I just, I'm just not a replay guy, period. Yeah, that basketball player you're talking about, that happened in the national championship game with uh, Texas Tech and Virginia late in the game as well. And that's yes, just, remember that. they got to modify that rule because, you know, when you have the ball in your hands and somebody knocks it out and just the physics of it, that that ball is going to scrape off your pinky finger on its way out, that doesn't mean that the ball went out of bounds off your hand, even though technically by frame-by-frame frame video, you can see that that ball touched one person's finger last. But if I'm holding the ball, you come and slap it out, and it goes out of bounds, you're the one that knocked the ball out of bounds. And, and everybody that's ever played any sport understands that. And I think instant replay, I'm not anti-instant replay. I think there's a lot of ways where that does correct, miss, or sees things that the referees don't see. But if you're looking at a video and you see that somebody slapped the ball out of somebody's hand, then that's what the call should be, not what the physics of that ball touching the fingernail of the person that had the ball before it was slapped out. Well, I just don't think they utilize it correctly. I mean, the play against New England where there was a first down um, confusion because they couldn't see the ball because the ball was in the huddle. I mean, massive players, I should say, at the the 30-yard line or whatever it was. But... um, you got. They can't put the technology. Put a chip in that ball now to know where the ball is and what yard line it's on. I mean, when you think about it, the most, some of the most important moves in the game are where the referee places the ball, and they're not even half the time they're up the field. They don't even have a across the field look at it, and they just walk out there and they put the ball down. And, and it, you know, the games count now. You know, count on these placements for first downs, etc. But uh, chip on the ball and also cameras right down the goal line. That's something. That's one of big, uh, one of the big uh, complaints Bill Belichick has had. They do certain bigger games. It's based on the television crew, and it should be the league. Right, and that's one thing. And it's it's in any sport, in basketball, it's in football, in college game, you have replay, but it's only as uh, elaborate as the production crew that's in attendance. So (laughs) isn't that kind of unbelievable though? Like. So let's say you have a, a football game. It's uh, UB and uh, and uh, Bowling Green, and you're going to have three angles of a play. Maybe, maybe you have two, but in you know Ohio State, Penn State, you have twelve different angles. So, so you get a much more you get a different officiated game uh, depending on the level. But also, it's it's even within the leagues. Think of uh, sure. the weekend games that you're going to have. These are all going to be playoff games. But they have different crews and different TV state or different networks have different technologies that they like to use. And so you're as in the NFL, you have, uh, or in the NHL or in the NBA, whatever. It's it's. Uh, you can, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about you're in the same league. Like the Bills Jets doesn't have that camera that flies around overhead like they do on the eight o'clock game. 
So shouldn't it be standard for all the games? I mean, it's that league's making billions of dollars. They should every every game should be covered the same way. You also get different crews, so you have a different caliber cameraman operating the camera. So the guy at the Patriots game. Uh, is the number one cameraman in the country, theoretically, and the guy doing the Bills game is, you know, the bat, the worst. Yeah. You know, the guy that the intern, the, right? The guy the that the, they pick up as a freelancer. The other thing I don't like about it is you have to gamble to get the right play right. Okay, whether or not you pull the flag out, and so you can actually be penalized for for asking them to review instead of why don't they just have like a guy in the in the booth? Okay, like one guy. Who's who's with it, and he sees what the fan sees on TV. And if there's a if there's a flagrant mis misplay, a foul, or an inbound out of the reception thing, he presses a button. It goes down to the field. They 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 call timeout. He says, "No, that wasn't a catch," and they just keep playing. I mean, here's another uh, here's another for instance that you see happen on occasion. In fact, I want to say it's happened in a Bills game within the last two or three weeks because I thought, why aren't they reviewing this? It was a I don't recall what it was. But if they're in the middle of something on the television program, let's say that's at the early part of the game and they're introducing all the players and they're saying Tredavious White, Trey White Goaltending Academy, and they're going through all the different things of the intros, and a play happens, if they don't show a replay, the coach up in the booth, whoever your replay guy is that signals down to the head coach that we should challenge this play, if there's no replay, he doesn't see that. They don't get different feed of the game. They're not watching some special feed. If the if the television network, because they need to show a promo for two and a half men, don't show the replay uh, because the producer doesn't feel it's important, then the team doesn't get to take a look at it. Unless yeah. the Patriots are there. That's hey, right. I, then they get all kinds of angles. The other thing about the Bills, and specifically I, I mentioned before, um, if they call a timeout to stop a, a delay of game, I'm going to lose it again. I mean, it's a, it's a five-yard penalty. It's in the first quarter. Where those timeouts are, are so valuable, and they just piss them away on these uh, the, the clock rundown, delay a game things. I agree. That's a pet peeve of mine, too. Sometimes you do need to call the timeout, but yes, for to avoid uh, just a, a five-yard penalty, to keep it from to keep it second and thir- three instead of second and eight, yeah, go ahead and just take the delay a game. It's gotten to be like performance art with these timeouts. Every week there's a new timeout for a new reason. Yeah. Last week it was Lorenzo Alexander, but that was to take him off the field. There was everybody in the press box wondering, "Man, Sean McDermott's doing it again," <laughs> and then it was like, "Oh, oops." And I would suggest, for the sake of the fans and the entertainment value of the NFL, you shouldn't be allowed to call a timeout while the clock's already stopped. And these coaches calling dueling timeouts to change the plays. People watching the game don't really want to wait through all that. I know it's part of the play calling battle, but. You know, timeouts are there to stop the clock. They're not there for coaches to flex their intricate knowledge of formations and play calling. That's often what it the, is. The worst, uh, what I see is, is that uh, the coaches, they call timeout as the kicker is kicking the field goal. And so whatever he kicked up, it doesn't count, and they got to kick it again. It, it just looks bad. To, it looks bad for the game. I mean, if you're going to call timeout, call timeout before the center snaps the ball. I, I know they probably do, but... When you watch it on TV, the, the kick's going, and this doesn't count. They call timeout. Sean McDermott against uh, in, in Dallas. They all try to use it, but it's, it's, it's like a blocked. Get, that I became a real hot thing a few years ago. It seems like it's cooled off a little bit, but, yeah, there's still some of that. Yeah, was that like a Pete Carroll thing? Icing the some kicker. Yeah. Somebody discovered it, and it worked. Mm-hmm. It, 
It is. It's stupid. Well, they found that giving the guy a practice kick before he kicks it the second time doesn't really help. Right. Let me. Let, I did, one more thing. Other. I know I already said one more thing, but one more. Um, I watched that Oakland Bills game on television last week. I was at that game with my brother. It was one of the highlights of my life. It was unbelievable. That fifty-one to three. This, we just kept saying fifty-one to three. But um, if you notice one thing, two things I noticed in the game: the turf at Rich Stadium was horrific. It was just flying off in pieces all over the place. And second, Norwood gave us a little hint of what was to come when he missed an extra point and he missed a field goal. But I think they were both wide right. And looking back at Washington do that, I, I just cringed when I when I saw those two two wide right kicks. But I mean, we walked back from that game. I remember talking, thinking about how we're going to play San Francisco. And the Giants somehow beat them. And then we thought, well, it's even easier now. I mean, it's the Giants. Somehow they upset them. But, you know, it didn't work out that way. Well, Frank, I always appreciate the phone call. Have a great 2020. Yes, you do. And uh, we'll be talking to you again uh, next week, maybe. You have the, the Eric, phone line's always going. open for you, Frank. Um, what's that? The phone line's always open for you. And maybe we need oh. to come up with a segment because you always call in with things that are rather pointed and make you think. So maybe like Frank's complaints or something like that. I like that. Right, the complaint say, window with, with Frank in Williamsville. Tim, before, you, you mentioned once other time about the fifth Beatle. I, I, I've never had to ask you, is that uh, Pete Best or is that the other guy? Uh, it was, Pete Best or Pete, or it was Paul's replacement. Pete Best, <laughs> Pete Best was the original drummer, right? Yeah. So the fifth Beatle, Beatle was the, uh, the producer. Yeah. Oh, the Fifth Beatle was... Uh, but, um, George Martin. George, George Martin. Martin. Although there's there's been like 12 different Fifth Beatles out there. <laughs> like Billy Preston is sometimes referred to as the Fifth Beatle yeah. and Yoko. There was a guitarist too, I think, at one point. I just like to say Stu, Stu Sutcliffe. It's a great name. Stu Sutcliffe. All right. Oh, yeah, that's Stu it. Sutcliffe yeah. is, can be the Fifth Beatle. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. I'd say All Frank right. is the Take Fifth Beatle of the show. <laughs> yeah, Frank is our Fifth Beatle. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Happy New Year. All right, that was, uh, you know what? I'm just going to throw it in there. That was Frank in Williamsville on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. <laughs> Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to hear from Houston and Stephanie Stradley. She's been blogging about the Texans at the Houston Chronicle for years and years. Uh, she and I go way back. Uh, I help her out with previews every time the Texans play the Bills. And uh, we do a little back-and-forth preview, and I said, all right, this time, quid pro quo. You're coming on the radio show. (laughs) So we're going to hear from Stephanie Stradley uh, after the break here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bissau, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270. The fan. Is this Holy Diver? No, it is it's Dio. Dio. With Sabbath, uh, heaven and hell. Oh, okay. It's a good connection. They're a good uh, connection there you made. I may or may not have once owned a Ronnie James Dio. Sh- um, oh, I got to remember the album. 
but I had the T-shirt. I had the tour oh, shirt. That's cool. It was great. That's cool. No, I don't it was think anything evil and very satanic yeah. looking for for a glowering fourteen year old Tim Graham <laughs> with his mullet. Right. Really intimidating look I had. <laughs> I want to mess with you. Not Holy Diver. That was the album that came out before this particular album. His solo stuff, though. Yeah. It yeah. Was, yeah. Holy Diver has the priest in chains at the bottom in the in the ocean. You know, he's being thrown off yeah. the, the mountain. All kinds of young teen angst that used to get into this stuff. Last in line? Last in line, yeah. Last in line, and it's always a mystery, or a mystery, I think his name is. Anyways. Our next guest, joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, certainly has nothing embarrassing in her past when it comes to her high school or earlier musical tastes. Stephanie Stradley's been blogging about the Texans for the Houston Chronicle for forever, since blogs came into existence. And she's joining us now here on the Tim Graham Show. Stephanie, thanks for doing this. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's it's a big week, of course. And the inside scoop from Houston that I'm curious about is – the excitement over J.J. Watt coming back and what fans think is realistic in terms of the type of impact he's going to be able to make. Wow. You know, it's a huge deal because, you know, the defense already had challenges even before he um, got hurt. And then after he got hurt, I mean, they didn't have anybody who's just a featured pass rusher. I mean, he was getting double teamed more than any other player in the league before he got hurt. And so it really just changes the nature of the defense, which this season has been ranked pretty poorly. But, you know, the Texans have also had uh, what some have said is like the sixth hardest um, schedule in the league. I mean, they've just been very up and down, but part of that is they've played some very tough teams. Yeah, J.J. Watt in only eight games still leads the Texans in quarterback hits with 21. Uh, Next is Whitney Merciless with 15, although uh, Merciless does have a team-high seven-and-a-half sacks. Then after that, you go down to D.J. Reeder with 13 quarterback hits. All right, so that's okay, but then you have to go down to seven hits from Jacob Martin, so that's not a lot of getting after it. Well, and we've also been spoiled by watching J.D. Clowney, who they traded away uh, in the off season. So, you know, it's really been a defense in transition, and they have real up-and-down times. I mean, they are able to make plays, but then, you know, if they can't make a play, then, you know, they can give up the big play, too. So this has just been a very frustrating season. And so getting J.J. back is a big deal. And, you know, I guess, you know, if you're asking for this fan impact, I think the biggest thing is, we have seen Watt do some things that are kind of historically strange things for players to be able to do. So I would never personally bet against him on anything. He just finished a press conference just a you know a few moments ago, and he's he's locked and loaded. So it'll be interesting to see you know, physically what he has after this kind of layoff. But, I mean, unlike some of his previous injuries, he was able to work out while recovering from the surgery that he had from the pec. And that's that's how he kind of got the idea that he might be able to come back in time 
if he really worked at, at his rehab. Stephanie, what's going on with this Texans secondary? They've got some talented players back there, but a lot of them are popping up on the injury report. How close to, to full strength are they? And, and what's been, you mentioned the schedule, but what's been sort of the missing ingredient for them putting it all together? Well, I mean, I think the biggest issue that they've had is, you know, the Texans defense for so many years was what was pulling the team along when they had a bunch of randos for quarterbacks. And they kind of neglected that side of the ball for a long time. And so their secondary started aging out on them. And, you know, you, you can draft somebody, but they didn't have a lot of those kind of in-between, you know, age, you know, defensive backs out there so they added some players in season so they actually have a lot of bodies in the secondary but they've been kind of learning how to play together better and so some weeks they've had really good weeks in the secondary and then some weeks it's been not great at all I mean they had four interceptions against Jameis Winston but who hasn't yeah I think uh, me I had three (laughs) okay but yeah that was an off week I was playing hurt uh, you know, Tayshawn Gibson gets put on injured reserve today. I almost just said cut. But I guess in, for all intents and purposes, he was just cut for the postseason because he can't play now. But he wasn't on yeah. the injury report. He leads the team with only three interceptions. Um, how, how big of a surprise was that? J.J. Watt needs to be activated. It was J.J. Watt, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they activate J.J. Watt, and they, they put Tayshawn Gibson on injured reserve. Yeah, you know, it's hard to tell with some of kind of the, the soft tissue injuries that you get late in the season and how serious some of these things are. And you, and you really can't tell until you get, you know, to game day. And they have, they have gone through all different forms of putting the secondary together just because they added, all, you know, players in season. You know, quality players, but, you know, you have to give them, you know, some time. And, and so... From week to week, we haven't really known what the secondary is going to look like, whether it's at safety or defensive back. And they've tried a, a number of different things to just kind of differing success. Like, you don't know which defense is going to show up. And it's been a lot of challenge for them because, you know, without Watt, you know, they've been having to hold, hold teams, you know, without a pass rush. And, you know, as, as good as Whitney Merciless is as a teammate and can have his moments, uh, he's he's not a primary pass rusher. You know, he doesn't demand double teams. And so Watt changes a lot of the pass rush and starts making people think about what they have to do to the secondary and it helps the secondary out. We're in conversation with Texans writer Stephanie Stradley on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Stephanie, let's take a look at the offensive side because a lot of uh, entertainment value on that side of the ball, and it's going to be the Bills' Uh, objective to limit that because that's what their defense does. They are a pretty uh, well-rounded. I guess I could you could say they are complete. Um, I don't know if anybody wants anybody here in the studio wants to go against me on that. They really don't have a weakness unless you're talking about the cornerback opposite Tre'Davious White and whether it's Levi Wallace who's injured or Kevin Johnson or what have you. But uh, anyways. Um, between Deshaun Watson and uh, DeAndre Hopkins and a, a really a surprise season uh, out of um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the running back? Uh, I want to uh, uh, Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. 
Duke Johnson. I mean, they've been they've been amazing. I mean, the biggest difference in the Texans' offense this season is that it's not just the DeAndre Hopkins show. I mean, it's they have made a point of moving the ball around and being able to dictate tempo on teams, but it hasn't been very consistent from week to week. And and frankly, they probably don't like playing actually good defenses. You know, they've played some good defenses in the past, but they've been more kind of team defense. I don't, I don't like the matchup when they play a team that has actually good defense. Like I think the matchups that work better for them is when they're playing a team that has a decent offense, but not a good defense. And then they dictate tempo with the running game. And, but they are going to want to remain balanced some weeks they rely more on the tight end, but they're not just throwing it to Hopkins. And I think the biggest question mark is, is Will Fuller going to be good enough to play through a whole game? Because the the team runs differently when Fuller is an option because he's just a, a handful to, to deal with deep. And, and the offense is all about whether they can hit the big play and whether, whether teams – can deal with all of their different weapons and the different targets because you can't just load up on one. But I think, I think it's a worse matchup for them when they're playing a legitimately good defense. I feel it's important for me to explain my Carlos Hyde uh, issue, uh, my oh? my mix up because it, this I'm 48, I'm starting to get in Matt Fairburn who's sitting next and Jonah Bronstein for that matter too, have to listen to me talk through the things that I forget when I have brain cramps and Carlos, I, I wanted to say Frank Gore because oh, yes. they, they played together with the 49ers. And I was just on this mind cramp of the fo- the guy who was with the 49ers, Frank Gore. And I, of course he plays for the bills. So now that I've talked this out, I feel now that I can get past this and not make the mistake again. But well, Frank, don't but, ask me, you know, I'm not going to talk about age and brain cramps or remembering you know, different player names because, um, it last last night was a very late night. <laughs> oh, I see. So you might make, you might mix it up. Carlos yeah. Hyde was with the Chiefs and got kicked aside. He almost was out of the league. It seemed like, and then he comes uh, to. That's why he was such a surprise this year. I think in, in the role that he's played with the Texans, a uh, thousand yard rusher. Uh, but real well, quick, I, I, I think, oh, I think that's one of those. I think that's one of those things where I think you know we have the joke here in Houston that. The coach is Bill O'Brien, and the general manager is William O'Brien. And William O'Brien, the general manager this year, really was trying to focus on the specific needs of this team and getting more experienced players to rely on. Because in previous years, you know, some of the the players that have let the team down are it, players that are still learning, and so. It, it was interesting that they gathered a number of experienced players that were promising players and put them in situations that they had a need and was a good fit with the player. Yeah, you mentioned Will Fuller and what he means to the offense. Uh, see a stat here uh, in a story uh, on ESPN.com that when Fuller's on the field, the Texans average 297 yards passing a game. Uh, when they don't have him, 158 yards passing a game. That is a huge drop-off. Uh, he does come up with the occasional boffo game. He also is known for dropping him, for dropping his share. Uh, but clearly, a guy based on the numbers that you want on the field. Yeah, 
he's he's been better in recent years. His his rookie season, he had more issues with drops, and he's been better about the drops in recent years. I think the biggest thing is he is the player that Andre Johnson wanted for so many years, where Johnson was a target all the time, but he didn't really have a, a player to help stretch the field. And so between now with Hopkins and Fuller, you have to pick your poison. If you If you spend too much time dealing with Hopkins, who has just a remarkable catch radius. I mean, he is, he, is the, he is the player that I miss the most on because I didn't think he was going to be a number one wide receiver, but he is an actual wide receiver. He's not just, you know, a bunch of attributes. You throw it anywhere close to him and he has the ball and he just has a very good sense of the ball in the air. But if you focus too much on him, then Fuller's going to be too deep and, and Watson and Fuller really have a great connection. Well, it's going to be a great battle uh, for everybody to watch. It's one of the sh- This is where we're lucky that we're in the press box. Now, you watch from the stands, right, Stephanie? Yes. Yes, yes so you can watch my- this. Go ahead. My my seats are seven rows from the field as opposed to seven stories up. Yeah, so, we yeah. do not have very the, high press. We, box yeah, there. we it's a yes. bad angle on the press box, but we get to watch the battles that are off the screen so often. I think it's going to be Tre'Davious White versus uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be the battle of the game, and it's going to be highly entertaining. But the shame is that when you're watching it on TV, those defensive backs and receivers run off your screen. Yes. While the ball, until the quarterback decides to throw it to him, but you don't see if the guy's open, what kind of gamesmanship's going on between that defensive back. I mean, yeah, you see it on the replay sometimes, but um, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a fun one to watch. Oh yeah. Maybe and, the best you know, cornerback in the league against a guy who you just described accurately as maybe the most dangerous receiver in the league. Well, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a great day for all the people who are coming to the game. The weather's supposed to be nice. Now they're gonna have the roof shut because they always have the roof shut. But the outside tailgating weather is gonna be tremendous. And I don't know about Bills fans knowing the tailgating around NRG Stadium, but the stadium is completely surrounded by parking lots and the Texans knew for a long time that the Texans were going to suck when they first were in the league, and so they really encouraged tailgating. So if you come out to the game, come early enough to just kind of walk around the tailgates and, and get a sense of things because um, one thing that Houston's pretty good at is food. Well, two things that Bills fans are good at, getting blitzed and making it a, making it a point to uh, infiltrate your tailgates. So how about a uh, how about a scouting report? Where are there lots that are better than others, or where do you want to go? Well, I'll, I'll just tell you from my perspective. I think that there's friendly places in all of the lots. Uh, the lot that I will be at the beginning of of the game is over at the front of the Platinum lot. It's a reserved area that has at least three tailgates that are welcoming to opposing fans as long as they're pretty cool. I would strongly suggest not getting too blitzed at NRG Stadium because the Houston Police Department is not something to be reckoned with, nor do you want to visit the court that is on site at the location. That but, might be you know, a good pe- tip for a story. Maybe I want to be down and maybe I want to be on the lower concourse outside the uh, magistrate's uh, office. You know, actually, people tend to be fairly chill out there. They have a lot of people now, I'm talking out about there the Bills fans, Stephanie. Yeah. No, but, like, what I'm saying is 
they don't mess around. If they see any kind of nonsense, it's nipped in the bud. But, you, you know, there's no bad blood between, you know, Texan fans and Bills fans. Not at all. So generally speaking, people are pretty chill. And, you know, as long as you're, you know, a good guest, they like to be good hosts. You know, that's just the way it is. So I'm, I'm actually happy about this particular matchup because I think there's generally um, a lot of, a lot of, um, just in happiness in being able to tailgate. Like be, back in the day, in the Oilers days, tailgating was not allowed in the Astrodome area. So, you know, Texan fans or Houston fans didn't have that at all. So now, it, now it's much more of a good vibe before the game. Right on. But the front well, of the, the front of the platinum lot's good. They have the tailgaters of the decades there, which is the raging bull tailgaters and also the blue crew, which is the oldest tailgate group uh, for the Texans? So yeah, it's like uh, it's like going to the Hall of Fame. It's like going it, it to the really Texans is. Fan Hall of Fame. And then my tailgate uh, with my group of people, we're pretty chill. We're on the front row of the Platinum Lot, and um, I think we're planning on bringing some pretty good food. Then don't invite the Bills fans if your yeah. tailgate's pretty chill. Yeah. Very brave of you to give out that location. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, it's. It's all good. It's all good. I'll uh, give you. I'll have to maybe stop by for anybody who stops by Stephanie Stradley's uh, tailgate and mentions the Tim Graham show. Uh, I don't know. I'll. Uh, I'll. I don't know. We'll figure something. Something will happen. In the Bills, uh, yeah, something will. Have... Ha- yeah, something will happen. <laughs> we will have lots of Houston-based. Um, brew at our location. We bring extra for other people because we're we're friendly that way. Like like. You know, we got to create our own traditions as Texan fans, and one of the traditions that we have is that that we just like to be friendly people, and people like whatever team that they like, and, you know, it's all good. All right, let's uh, bring this conversation full circle. Uh, right, uh, we were coming out of the last commercial, and I mentioned my embarrassing heavy metal T-shirts uh, when I was in high school. What is your most embarrassing uh, music um um, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I yeah. didn't do any embarrassing music. My taste in music is impeccable. My first real concert was going to Van Halen Diver Down concert. So that was Van Halen fun. was also my first concert. Monsters of uh, Rock. Yeah, and then uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, I guess I went to Rush concerts, and I was big into Led Zeppelin. I mean, who wasn't back in the day? Um I didn't like a lot of like the bad hair bands in the eighties. Um, All right, I'm like sure the there's something one. if we had time to dig. No, no, no. I have I like now I have pretty chill. T- like one of the reasons why I'm so big into sports is I don't like a lot of uh, of radio play music. So I, I think I have decent taste in music. Stephanie Stradley of the Houston Chronicle. And no uh, bad bad hairstyles in the eighties. I'll totally cop to that. <laughs> well. You and me both. Tim, too, yeah. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> I still have my fake ID from when I was oh, Lord. 16 trying to be 21. And uh, the Adam's apple on that guy. <laughs> You're going to have to put it on Twitter. I will. I keep vowing to do it. I keep, and I, it's, it's, I got to dig it out. But yeah, it's, I, I'm not ashamed. Well, Bill's fans can see where the location of my tailgate is by looking at the pinned tweet on my Twitter. Steph's uh, Twitter account is Steph Stradley, S-T-E-P-H, 
Stradley, S-T-R-A-D-L-E-Y, at Steph Stradley. Go check it out, and she's uh, inviting you to come by, which is very hospitable of you. Uh, Houston is, uh, is known for that. We, you know, we have signs along the roads that say drive friendly, and on the other side of the road it says ice on bridge. What? You have signs. No, I heard you, but what down. the hell does that mean? Ice on bridge? Well, because we don't have ice out here very often, so people drive really fast on the highways, and so when the temperatures come down, they flip the signs down, so when most of the time to make them drive, drive slow. friendly. Yeah, to slow, yeah, to because people here don't know how to drive in ice and snow. It's really unfortunate. Like, today, it's a cold day in Houston, Texas. So you're Texas. just panicking. You just want people to panic. 55 degrees today, and it's considered cold. I have a fireplace right next to me roaring at 55 degrees. Ice on bridge. But I'm telling you that the tailgate weather is going to be phenomenal. Like, it's supposed to be sunny and gorgeous, and then you're going to go inside the stadium that has a roof, but it's not really great to have the roof open during games because of the way that the sun the sun angles are. Well, we'll stop by and say hello, and it'll be nice Please to finally do. meet you after all these years. Please do. Uh, I think I'm making Irish whiskey cake, so there you have well, it. Well, we'll see if I get into the game. <laughs> <laughs> the Ste- alcohol burns off. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Stephanie, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. It's a lot of fun. That was Stephanie Stradley, uh, Texans writer for the Houston Chronicle on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to hear from Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about Bills at Titans Saturday matchup from a betting standpoint right Texans here on the Tim Graham you Show. You Titans, and now you said Titans. Did I? Texans. Oh. You're thinking ahead to... If, if the Bills play the Titans at any point in the postseason, it will be at New Era Field for the AFC Championship. How many times have I said Titans? That was the first time. But, yeah, you also but tweeted I tweeted it. it. Yes. And it's this cold medicine. I, uh, yeah, that and the 48-year-old and the and the Frank Gore and the Carlos Hyde while we're at it. Houston teams, right? People talking about Warren Moon all day and the comeback, and that wasn't even the right Houston team. That was the Titans, really. The former right. Oilers, now Titans. The come That's fair. Anyways, Joel Staniszewski will keep us straight when we come back on Sports Radio 1270, The Show. It's going to be 92 in Nashville on Saturday. Oh, no kidding? Yeah. So I'll bring those tear-off uh, warm-up pants like I'm coming off the bench in an NBA game. Calculating. And I'll just <laughs> rip off my pants. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, and RJD, 
The name of this song, Matt, this is your favorite RJD song? Lock Up the Wolves. Lock Up the Wolves. James Dio is awesome. He was about. I don't think you should be embarrassed about it at all. He was about five feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if our next guest knows who the hell Ronnie James Dio is. Well, first off, I'm sure that he does, but let's see what his favorite Ronnie James song is. Let's go to Las Vegas. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a It's more like a royal flush. Joel Staniszewski joins us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Happy New Year, Joel. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. Do you have a favorite Ronnie James Dio song? I don't. I know who he is, and I know his importance into the world of hard rock and heavy metal, but I couldn't tell you anything by him. Okay. Fine. No offense offense taken. (laughs) No uh, kind of music related. My intro music, when I keep talking about today is my birthday. Uh, my my birthday is actually Super Bowl Sunday, Super Joel Sunday. So oh. when the Bills win, it's going to be <laughs> oh my god, even sweeter. Super Joel Sunday. Look at you. Well, I'm rooting for this. Maybe I'll come out to Las Vegas for the Bills Super Bowl. I won't even go to Miami. That sounds great. I go out there and cover it in Vegas. So Are Joel. Are you going to be in Houston this week? Uh, yeah, I'm. In fact, I'll be there a day early. I have. Uh, I think I'm. I think I'm going to fly in a day early, so we'll we'll have to we'll have to hook up. You're going, okay? Of course. Let's do this. What are your thoughts on this game, uh, Houston? Giving three points to the Bills. You've said all along, or at least the last month and a half, the Bills are getting points. You take them. Is uh, th- yeah three enough? It, you know, when that line came out, it seemed a little bit skewed to me. It seems like it should have been maybe a touch higher, three and a half, maybe four. Uh, it opened at three, and it's since been uh, bet down. You can find it as low as two and a half around town. Um, I'm actually in a sports book right now, day off from work, so of course this is where I'm going to be. So if you hear some extra hooting and hollering, I'm watching Oregon, Wisconsin as we speak. Hey, hang on a second, Joel. The law used to be you can't have a cell phone in a sports book. Did they change that law? Yeah, they changed that a while ago. Oh, okay. It was just one of those. They, they tried to stop, you know, runners and and people that were sharp betting and keeping an eye on getting calls and whatever. But with the advancements of technology, I mean, you can get a text. So you can get to tell people they can't look at their phone. You know, it was just it was just one of those antiquated laws that they got rid of. So yeah, cell phones are good. Good to know. I think the last time I was in a sports book, which was not long ago, maybe in the last couple of years, I walked out of the sports book to make a call because that's what you used to have to do. Right. And uh, there also was uh, a deli that <laughs> a deli with a sports book that I used to go to. And if you got too close, you could sit in the deli, but if you got too close to the sports book, you right. had to put your phone down. You, if they saw you reading lines off the board, yeah, it's usually what, what, what they used to stop you by when, when you could clearly tell that you were 
reading the board, then they would stop you. But all right. So what's your th- what's your thought on this? If you're if you're considering two and a half points or three, it looks like you can still get three at uh, MGM Mirage Books. Um, yeah. What what's what's your thinking at that number? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting thought when you when you look at the two teams. Uh, they have the exact same record uh, straight up, but Houston's record against the spread is very poor. Um, they're uh, seven and eight, seven eight and one against the spread, and only two and six against the spread at home. And this is where you look into that old mantra of defense wins championships. Um, we've seen the Bills; they're built on defense. Uh, our defense is whether you're looking at yards or points or whatever, how, whatever category you want to look at, we're top three, top five defenses in the league. Uh, and when you look at Houston, they're, you know, 25th against the pass or 29th against the pass and 25th against the run. Their, their defense is, is not very strong. It's not their strong suit. Um, so if you're going to live by that defense wins championships thought, then definitely um, the Bills are a solid bet. Bills, their, their run offense has been a little poor the last couple of weeks, and overall, not even counting week 17, I think the previous three weeks they scored 17 points each game, uh, which might be enough at this point. Uh, you know, if, if our defense can hold up, especially against the pass, because that's definitely Houston's strong suit, is their ability to throw the ball. They have a lot of good receivers. Uh, but when, when I was thinking about it from that exact same standpoint was against Dallas. Dallas has a lot of great receivers and a really strong quarterback. Uh, so we could handle Dallas as easily as we could on Thanksgiving. If you follow that exact same thought process, strong mobile quarterback, strong arm, multiple receivers, and Dallas has a better has a much better running game than Houston does. So I think if you follow that thought process, uh, that definitely Buffalo is the right place. Joel, your thoughts on J.J. Watt's return and how that's impacting things. Clearly it's not scaring people away from betting Buffalo. I don't think it has anything to do with the line. I think it's more of a emotional thing to have their, you know, their defensive leader in the huddle and, and, you know, dressing for the game and being on the sideline with his team. But I don't think he'll play that much. You have to assume he's going to be on a, a snap restriction. You don't want a player like that just going out there and going, you know, 100% on every single play because your fear is he's going to get injured again. Uh, so they'll probably ease him back in. He's definitely a number you got to keep an eye on when you're blocking and when you're running in that direction. But I, I can't, I can't imagine him being uh, on injured reserve all year. All of a sudden, just coming back and and having like a, you know, career game, multiple sacks and multiple tackles for a loss. I think he'll be a important player to keep an eye on, but I don't think he'll play that much. What do you make of? It seems like a lot of early money came in on the Bills. As a Bills longtime Bills fan, they're playing in you know their second playoff game in 20 years and looking to win their first one since '95, and they got people betting on them. What do you does this scare you? It does. It definitely does. Uh, I think the Bills, at least from my standpoint, watching the Bills, I like when they're the underdog and people don't expect them to win. Uh, that gives us like so. If you lose, you're like, oh well, everyone expected us to lose. Uh, with the Bills being uh, bet down and being bet fairly heavily, uh, it's a little scary as a fan thinking all these people uh, are have faith in them. So it's either they're finally turning the corner and they're actually going to be a, a team to be reckoned with in the future, or people uh, are going to start betting on them and they're not going to perform and then they're going to become 
the Bills of previous years that don't perform when they're supposed to and don't have those games when they need them. Joel, what are your thoughts on the total? 39.5 is where it opened. It's now up to 43. 43 and a yeah. half in a couple of places. It seems really high to me. Uh, you know, when you, it's hard to, again, I'm not a huge totals better, as I've said multiple times. Uh, so many things can, can ultimately change the point spread and the total of a game. You know, a pick six, a punt, big punt return, a kickoff return, uh, a quick score, a, a turnover in, in your offensive zone. Uh, but it does seem really high, um, and you have to take into account when you look at totals, um, if someone's getting blown out, the garbage time touchdowns that always come, come around, whether it's, whether it's uh, Dallas, when we played against Dallas and they came back and scored because we just didn't really care at that point anymore. So you're going to get some late in the goal. If it's a, if it's a, high, if it's a one-sided game, you're still going to get some, some points at the end of the game on the other side. So, again, uh, it seems really high. I, I wouldn't bet it. Um, but I, I, if I were to bet it, I would definitely lean towards the under, especially as it keeps going up and up even higher. All right, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Uh, Joel, uh, reach out to us. Let us know where you're staying and all that good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do. We'll connect. It's good to hear you'll be in Houston. All right, sounds good. Talk to you guys soon. All right, that was Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas and on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, my thanks. Whoa, we're up against it. Is, is here's Syracuse basketball tonight? No. no. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I won't rush through it, but I still need to get off the air here. My thanks to Jonah Bronstein handling Periscope. You can see Periscopes of this Tim Graham show and all previous Tim Graham shows. Just check our Twitter feeds. Uh, we tweet them out, and they are archived. Uh, my thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. John Vogel, Sabres reporter for The Athletic. Stephanie Stradley, a blogger for the Houston Chronicle on the Houston Texans. Joel Staniszewski, we just heard. Frank in Williamsville. I think he's working himself into a weekly segment. And, of course, Bobby Rosati for letting us in today. Thanks for letting us in the building, Bob, so we can uh, have a show. Not a chance I wouldn't. We might be talking about Bills versus... Probably Ravens. Ravens next week. Or Chiefs, if the Titans do the unthinkable. And, and some and Sabres and college hoops or wrap-up. All kinds of things we could be talking about a we'll week from talking. today. But we'll have things to talk about. That's for sure. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. A big thanks to them as we enter a new year for being the title sponsor of the Tim Graham Show. Uh, thanks for listening. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Show. I like this guy. Uh...